This second week of Advent, we gather to hear God's story of salvation and to decorate the Jesse tree with symbols of his handiwork. We hang the ornament of Judah as sign that God's chosen one is from the line of Judah and his kingdom will be for all people. We hang the ornament of Moses as recognition that God is our King who is strong to deliver and rescue from slavery of every kind. We hang the Ten Commandments ornament as a reminder that God is a loving King who reveals how we should live as His holy people. We hang the Joshua ornament as a symbol of God's faithfulness that endures even when His people are unfaithful. We hang the Ruth ornament as a reminder that Jesus is a descendant from Ruth, a non-Israelite, who was grafted into the family of Israel by faith. We hang this ornament also as a symbol that God has provided a kinsman redeemer for Israel and all people through his chosen king. We hang the Samuel ornament as a reminder that if we reject God as our king, then we reap the harsh consequences of our unfaithfulness. We hang the David ornament as a reminder that Jesus is a descendant of King David and that God chooses to use the youngest, weakest, and the unassuming person to accomplish his purposes. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. My name's Todd. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor here and so excited that you've been with us, uh, that you're here today worshiping with us. And I don't know about you, I'm loving the Jesse tree um, because these are promises of what God has done in the past that are so important for us to know. They're so important for us to be reminded of. And I just want to thank the Beaker family um, for uh, being our folks who hung these ornaments today on the Jesse tree. We all give them a round of applause this morning. Thank you, Chris and Heather, Ryan and Nathan. Appreciate that, buddy. We are in a, a series that we're calling Anticipate this Christmas season. And in this series, what we're doing is we're considering several different Old Testament passages where the birth of Jesus was foretold. And in this series, what we're doing is, is looking back at how the world anticipated the first coming of Jesus Christ but the thing that we often miss during an Advent season, the thing that we um, so often forget during Christmas, is there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return again. And so part of Advent is not, part of the Christmas season is not just remembering his faithfulness in the past, which is so important for us to do. It's why we celebrate Christmas, right? It's why we open presents at Christmas time. It's why um, we have candles to represent light. And there are so many symbolic things of Christmas. Uh, but one of the things that, that I want us to do as a church is I want us to think with anticipation about the fact that one day Jesus is going to return to this earth and he's coming again. And so last week we talked about the fact that we can have hope in the midst of crisis and all of the crisis of the world events around us. I don't know but about you, but when I read the news, when I listen and hear the news, um, I, I'm just going to be gut level honest, it causes a lot of anxiety. I hope I'm not the only one that it does, but it does. When you listen to the current events that are taking place, it is cause for worry except that there's a promise that God has made, that hope is going to come. Last week we talked about that. We talked about the anticipating the promise, the promise that peace will one day replace strife, 
The promise that justice will one day replace prejudice. And that the promise that righteousness will one day replace evil. There's a hope that one day we're going to be together with Christ, united. And that's the promise of the second coming. Today we switch gears a little bit. And we focus on anticipating Jesus the King. And we look to Him as King. You know, there's a, there's a special irony about how Jesus came into this world, isn't there? Um, it's interesting because during that day and age, and even during our day and age, Jewish people, for the most part, were expecting a king. As they read Old Testament prophets, as they heard uh, audibly those ones that were there, they were expecting a king. And, and that, that interesting irony is, is that Jesus was born in the most unroyal fashion, wasn't he? He was born in a small town. He was born in a manger in a barn with animals around. The most unroyal of circumstances, the most uh, unkingly surroundings. And here was the baby that God was sending to save the world from sin. And there's an amazing irony in that because at the very, the very fact that Jesus was a baby, that God chose to use humility, that he chose to use a child to save the world, there's a special irony because Jesus was told uh, to have come from the line of David who was a king. And while he was a baby and while he had humble beginnings, he had royal roots. And he came from a line, David, both Mary and Joseph had royalty in them. And so either by adoption legally or by his birth from Mary, Jesus was indeed the king that Jeremiah prophesied about in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Jesus fulfills the prophecy that he would be king. But what does it mean that he was king? What does that mean to us today? What does it mean to us in 2012 that we anticipate the king? That we look back and the king was born as a baby and we look forward to anticipate the king? That's what I want to take a look at today. And in doing so, I want to use a passage from the book of Malachi. So you can turn in your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, the words will be on the screen. But you can turn to the book of Malachi. A real easy way to do this is to go to the first book of the New Testament, which is, say it with me, all right, I totally took you by surprise. Don't worry. It's okay, all right? The first book of the New Testament, I know that just like totally threw everybody off, is Matthew. And you turn one back, and there is Malachi. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 3 of Malachi. That was just mean of me to do that so early in the morning. Um, now, as you're doing that, I want to give you a little bit of background on um, what was going on during the day and age of, of Malachi and uh, what was happening as he spoke on behalf of God to the people, uh, the Jewish people the Jewish people were still split into two nations. There was Judah and there was Israel. And there have been many prophets for, for many years that had been telling the Jewish people that they needed to repent, that they needed to get rid of their sin, that they were turning away from God, that they had turned away from God, and that the um, only way to avoid God's wrath and His judgment on them was to turn from their sin, not just individually, but corporately and nationally that they needed to repent and turn from that and they needed to turn back to God. Well, this particular prophet was speaking during a time of relative peace. And I don't know about you, but when circumstances are relatively peaceful in my life, that's when things, that's when I get in trouble. When circumstances are relatively peaceful is when 
my eyes start to wander. It's when my mind starts to shift from God. When circumstances are mild um, is usually when we as humans begin to turn away from God. And that's exactly what was happening during this time, during this prophet, during the time when he was speaking to the people. They had become extremely, extremely comfortable with their circumstances and surroundings. And because of that, they had become very complacent and comfortable even with their own sin. They had become complacent with what they were doing, knowing that those things that they did weren't exactly what God wanted them to do. And we do the same thing today, don't we? When things are going so well is when we become complacent. When things are going so well is when we get very comfortable. And so Malachi was written to shake the people of Judah from their spiritual lethargy and to warn them that judgment was coming unless they repented. And so we pick up here in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're going to take a look at these four verses today and use them as a springboard to find out what we need to do to anticipate the king. Let's read together Malachi 3, verse 1. Malachi says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple... And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit, at a, uh, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Those were the priestly group of people in the Jewish community. And he will refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah, verse 4 says, in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. Before we dive in this morning, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father God, thank you so much that you came as a baby, but God, thank you that you came from a royal bloodline. And Father, today I pray that you would seek our hearts, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would look into our innermost being, and God, help us to anticipate your second coming. Help us to prepare for when you arrive again. And God, may we live as, as Christ followers, may we live lives that are pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you. And may we take the words of a prophet from old and may we be able to apply them directly to our lives today so that we can stand strong and say, you are king of our lives. Show us what that means. Show us that, what that means for us individually. Help us to have the courage to face our failures and our sin and our transgression. And may we turn back to you so that your name can be high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We're going to define exactly what this means, what these words from Malachi means. But the most important thing that I want you to hear today is what it means to you personally. Uh, these, these words were for a nation. They were for a whole nation, the, the nation of Judah back then. But they, they have implications. They have meaning. They have importance for us today. And so my prayer is, is that God would seek you out and find out what you need to learn from these words today. Let's begin the study in verse 1. Malachi says this, Behold, I send my messenger. By the way, that's John the Baptist, that messenger he's talking about there. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, I want to come back to that word in a moment, who you will seek, 
will suddenly come in his temple, temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. The second messenger there is Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, and I don't want to um, uh, miss the fact that Malachi uses a, a specific term for Lord. And, and we at Hilton Head Island Community Church have studied the different names of God. There are dozens of names for God, especially um, all the way back in the Hebrew language. They, they would have different names that um, would signify or emphasize a different characteristic of God. Well, Malachi, in this particular instance, uses a word that's Adonai. And you may have heard that before. And Adonai would have symbolized to the people of that day in its deepest meaning meant... Uh, a king, a royal, someone who deserves honor and majesty. And so what Malachi is saying in this verse, in, in verse 1, is he says, the Lord, the one who is king, who is worthy of honor, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And so Malachi is following in the same understanding of the prophets that have gone before that Jesus is going to come and that he's going to be king. Yes, he's going to be humble, but he's also going to be king. I want to ask you a question this morning. What would happen if I ended the message here right now? Some of you are like, that's awesome. I can get to lunch early. If I ended the message right now um, and, and said, hey, listen, um, someone is going to visit your home and you need to get home because you need to be prepared. And that someone is Prince William and Kate Middleton. They decided they're going to show up today at your home and they want to eat your pot roast that you put in the crock pot before you left for church today. What kind of response would you have? Oh, wait a minute. I got to go home now because there's laundry that's been in the same basket for two weeks out in the living room. And guys, your wives would be like, hey, out in the yard as fast as you can. I know it's winter. It doesn't need to be cut. Cut it anyway. Cut the yard. Get the leaves blown off. Get everything ready. And then what would, have hap what would happen if today you got there and those royalty were there and Prince William got a call from his mom on the cell phone and he says, Hey, my mom's not doing anything today. She's coming as well. What would happen if the queen and her family decided to show up today for lunch? We would panic, wouldn't we? I mean, I would panic, and I know that Cynthia would panic, okay? We would panic if, the, if royalty showed up at our house today. Why? Because we need time to what? Prepare. We need time to get ready for the coming of royalty. And you see, spiritually, we need to do the same thing. And God has given us indication that Jesus is going to come again one day, and then he's going to be king, and what he says to us now in 2012 is one day he's going to be king, and he's going to come and rule and reign over the universe. But right now, what you can do as a Christ follower is you can make sure that you make him king of your life. And I can make him king of my life. But so often we get wrapped up in our busy lives, so often we get wrapped up into everything that we're doing that we forget that he is king and he ought to be king of our lives. We prepare when royalty comes. I'm a nerd and I love history. I saw um, Lincoln, the movie, this weekend with my wife and loved it. You know, some of you are like, oh, that's boring. But I love history and uh, particularly presidential history. And so I 
I, I research this all the time. It takes when a president comes in and speaks in an auditorium or in, a, um, in an event, in a venue, um, it takes 30 White House staff, 13 hours a day for five days straight to prepare just the venue where the president is speaking. The hotels say that the Secret Service will actually watch over their shoulders as they prepare his food. And so, you know, they prepare uh, uh, when a president comes. Our, our countries prepare when there's royalty. You saw a royal wedding uh, uh, nearly two years ago where there was so much detailed preparation. And when it comes to the king of the universe, the one who's going to reign on high, we often forget that he is king. Well, what does it mean to prepare for the king and to anticipate the king? Take a look at your notes here this morning. Let's dive in. I want to point out three things that I believe this passage is saying about anticipating the king coming, and these are very personal. They're very personal to each one of us. Take a look at your notes. We anticipate the king, first of all, by keeping a short account with God, by keeping a short account with God. Malachi verse 3, verse 2 and 3 says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. This refining process is something that back in that day and age, and even now, when you find a precious metal, you run it through and you process it through an extreme heat. And what happens is the precious metal that is so strong, that is so pure, that is so lovely, it remains. And what is left over, the junk that's taken out of that precious metal, is discarded. That's what this prophet Malachi was talking about. He's talking about the fact that Jesus is going to be coming as king, but there's going to be a purification process that takes place in our lives because he is so incredibly holy. The fuller soap that he talks about there, you know, back in that day and age, they didn't have bleach, they didn't have Tide, um, they didn't have um, stain stick. <laughs> I have a five-year-old son that wears khaki pants to school. Why they let him wear khaki pants in the uniform, I don't know. But he comes home with stains, and we have to put stain stick on it, or we have to spray it with spray and wash. They didn't have that back then, and so when a linen or a cloth got dirty, they would use fuller soap that would literally pull the impurities out of that linen and out of that cloth. That's what Jesus has done for each one of you on the cross. That's what he did when he came and he died and he rose again on the third day. He took your impurity, your sin, your transgressions, your failures, and he took them on the cross so that you could have eternal life with God one day. And the way that you do that is you give up your life to him, you surrender your life to him, and you ask him to be your savior. And at that moment, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are taken with God on the cross, taken with Jesus on the cross. The, the Bible says in Psalms that he casts them as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far, isn't it? And he takes our impurity away. But you know, it's interesting. We can live that way, and many Christians do live that way. Hey, God's taken care of me on the cross. I'm good. I can now live my life, and I can live like I want to. Well, the Bible says that's not the best way to live. That's not the way to get close to God. That's not the way to share your faith and be able to be used by God. The best way to do it is to keep a short account with God of the things that you do that cause impurity in your life. And hey, we all do it, don't we? 
We're all human. Once you become a Christ follower, it doesn't mean that you'll not sin anymore. In fact, sometimes there's even more of a struggle because now there's a spiritual struggle that goes on, the Bible tells us. And so we struggle with sin, and the Bible says that what we ought to do is we ought to keep a short account with God. There are uh, certain jobs in our house that um, Cynthia does better than I do, um, and there are certain things that maybe I do better than her. Now, we went to premarital counseling, and we had a good counselor tell us that in marriage, the best way to operate is that, you know, you, you don't say, this is my job, and, and this is my job. It's both of your jobs, and that way it'll get done. And that sounds really good, except in reality, that doesn't really happen, right, married couples? I mean, there's just certain things that you know, each one of you is better than the other. Cynthia is much better at paying bills than I am. It ends up that if you don't pay a bill, they like to call you and ask for money. And I found that out early in our marriage, and Cynthia is much better at that. She's much better at um, organizing our household. She knows everything that goes on in our kids' lives with all their events at school. And if I'm told one of those things, it goes in one ear and out the other. And so she's much better at keeping track of all that. Um, I have found that I'm really good at one particular thing, taking out the trash. And as I was describing this in the previous service, I realized maybe I'm not really as good as I think I am at it because there are times, husbands, when the trash piles up, doesn't it? Men, ladies, it piles up sometimes. And what happens when the trash doesn't get taken out? The kitchen what? Stinks. My kids even come up to me now. Dad, the house stinks, you need to take the trash out. I'm like, yeah, I know, I've already been told that. Thank you very much, I can smell it, I'll take it out. And we have these wonderful things in Beaufort County, they're not called trash dumps, they're called recycling centers. So, or convenience centers, that's what they're called, convenience centers. It's a trash dump. But anyway, and so I load, every once in a while, I load uh, you know, once a week uh, my truck up and I take it to the convenience center and I get rid of all the junk that was in our house and then our house smells better, it looks better. It's more pleasurable. It is nicer. It's more pure. Sin is our spiritual garbage. And if I let it pile up and let it pile up and let it pile up, it's going to take me a long time to get rid of it. It's going to cause me more trouble. We're going to have animals and bugs in the house. And we do the same thing in our spiritual lives when we let the stuff that we've done, where none of us are perfect. The Bible says, Romans says, that there's none of us, none of us that's perfect. But when we let it pile up and when we don't take it to God and ask Him to make us pure again, it's harder, more difficult, more taxing to get rid of that stuff. And anticipating the King means that we clean up our lives. We let Him clean up our lives. John says this in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You notice there's no timetable on that. There's no when, where, who. We can go directly to God. I want you to hear this, Christ follower. You can go directly to God today, right now, right after you've done that thing that you're ashamed of and that you're guilty about, and you can give it to him, and you can present yourself for the king pure because he's the one that's taken it to the cross. There's kind of an irony there that the king is coming and that we need to present ourselves pure to him, but it's the king himself Who's the garbage man? It's the king himself that took that impurity on the cross for us so that we can have eternity with God in heaven one day. So we anticipate the king when we keep a short account of our sins with God. But secondly, we anticipate the king by presenting the best that we have to offer. 
by presenting the best that we have to offer. Look at verses 3 and 4. One of the things that was going on in, in Judah during that time with the Jewish people is that the Bible gave them very specific instructions on what to bring to God as an offering. And the bottom line for all of those things, whether it was money or food or whether it was a lamb to be offered to God, whether it was you know, blood to be spilled and all the different rules that were in place at that time, the bottom line, bottom factor on all of that was it was supposed to be pure. They were supposed to bring the best food. They were supposed to bring the most perfect lamb. They were supposed to bring their first uh, part of their income. They were supposed to bring what was best. Well, during this day and age, and you'll hear more about this in January uh, when we have a stewardship series, during this day and age, the nation of Israel, because they were complacent, began to bring to God what is mediocre. They began to, to cheat a little bit on what they would bring them. They began to maybe not bring as much or not bring the best or not give of their time better. And so Malachi reminds them that they're supposed to bring what is best. Look at the second part of verse 3. He says, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord after this purification process takes place. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in, as in former years. You see, when we forget that God is supposed to be the king of our lives, we begin to bring things that are mediocre to him. We when we lose sight of the fact that we serve a king, what we give in our financial life begins to take a back seat to our needs. When we lose sight of the fact that we serve a king, our talents seem to get used up in self-service rather than other service. When we lose sight of the fact that we serve a king, our time seems to be our time and not his. But 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says that everything under heaven and earth is his. And so in anticipating the king, we need to remember that he deserves our best, that we should spare no expense for King Jesus. You know, some of the first men to arrive on the scene after Jesus was born, they understood this. There were three wise men that showed up shortly after Jesus' birth. These were philosophers. They were fortune tellers. They were kind of the things of festivals and circus and universities. And, and they, they were philosophical in nature, and they looked literally to the sky to help direct their course. Well, one day, supernaturally, God put an amazing star in the sky where they would have been looking, and it directed these three wise men to come and visit this new king who is called King of the Jews. And the Bible says that they bowed down and worshiped. Essentially, God got their attention in the way that they needed to have attention. And they came to Bethlehem and they worshiped Jesus. Take a look at Matthew 2, 11 to find out that they understood to bring their best. Verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down. And what did they do? Worshiped him. They worshiped him. These, these men were, were, were not necessarily God worshipers, but he had gotten their attention and they worshiped the new king. And then they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, a lot of experts will tell us that these three men were probably on their way to back to their country to visit their king, their king who reigned in their country, to give their king these gifts. 
But God redirected their path, and they ended up in Bethlehem, and they offered Jesus, the new king, these gifts. The gold represented royalty. Jesus was from a royal bloodline, and so in in offering gold, it represented royalty. The frankincense was used in religious services. It was used to, to create smoke and steam, and it represented that Jesus was God, represented the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was God. And then they gave him myrrh, which represented that he was man, because myrrh was used as an embalming fluid. It was part of burying a human being. And so they brought these different treasures that represented that he's king, that he's God, yet he's still man. And so they brought these, but the most important thing is not necessarily the symbol. The most important thing is that they, please don't miss this, they brought the best they could. Of all the things that they would have had traveling with them, they gave him the most valuable possessions that they had. Jesus deserves that, doesn't he? He deserves that in 2012 from those of you who are in here and from me who call ourselves Christ followers. He deserves our best. He deserves our self-sacrifice. There's a lady in the Bible named Mary, Mary of Bethany. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but Mary understood this as well. Her brother Lazarus had died. And Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus to life. But before that, look what happened in John 12, verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Gotta love that word. You guys can use that word this week. Nard, all right. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, Mary loved Jesus, and she worshiped him and adored him, and this was an expression of that, but it's so important to understand what she was doing. She wasn't just uh, giving him some lotion or, or some perfume. This was a very, very valuable, valuable thing that came from the root of a plant that was a flowering plant, and, and it cost, she would have paid a year's worth of salary for this perfume that she rubbed over Jesus' feet. You see, Mary of Bethany understood what it means to bring the king her best. And we should do that too. We should spare no expense in terms of offering him our best. When it comes to our time, when it comes to our talent, when it comes to our treasure, we ought to offer him everything that we can, the best that we have. You'll hear more about that. In January. So we anticipate the king by keeping a short account with God, by presenting the best we have to offer, but I don't want us to miss this. It may be the lasting, most important point this morning is that we anticipate the king by sharing with others about his coming. By sharing with others about his coming. Look in the previous verse there in Malachi 3, look at verse 1. He says this Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi talks about two different messengers there. And the point is, is that Jesus' birth was announced and announced and announced and announced before his birth. Once he was born, it was announced again and it was announced again. God used angels to announce his birth. 
God used these wise men, who by the way, we miss sometimes, they went to King Herod, who wanted Jesus killed. And King Herod told them that there was a new king that had been born in Bethlehem. God used the one who wanted to kill Jesus to announce his birth. The shepherds, they saw Jesus and they went back to their towns and they announced his birth. God used shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. He used angels, kings, shepherds, wise men, a star in the sky to announce his birth. Everything surrounding the coming of the king in his first coming, coming was announced and surrounded with a voice of letting people know about it. And that's what happens when royalty comes, isn't it? When royalty comes, when, when, the, when the royal family in England comes to the United States of America, there's an announcement that they're coming. When they go to visit a place, there's an announcement that they're coming. When the president, the closest thing that we have to royalty here in America, when he shows up somewhere, there's an announcement that he is coming. And if you're a Christ follower in here, I want you to hear this today. You and I play a role in announcing the king is coming. We play a role in 2012 in announcing that there is a king who came once as a baby, humble beginnings, but he's coming again. And I want to challenge you with this as we close today. I want to challenge you with this. this. I want each of you to think of and identify two people, two people in your life. Maybe it's a fellow student, students. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member who may not know Jesus as a personal Savior, who may be searching for God or searching for something, or who may just be down and out or unchurched or may not have a connection. I want to challenge you to invite specifically, verbally announce about Jesus and the fact that he was born as a baby and then he's coming again as a king. And the best way for you to do that is to invite people to come to church. This is the time of year that they listen. This is the time of year that they're open to you inviting them and that they're open to saying yes to Jesus. We've printed up these cards. On the front it says anticipate. That's the name of our series. And on the back it's an announcement about our Christmas Eve services. We have a service on December 23rd, Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15. That is just our normal times. The same... Um, the same message, the same Sunday events will take place then again on the 24th on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. I would love nothing more for this place to be packed with people during those three different services because you and I took up the challenge to be like those who went before Jesus at his birth and announce that the king is coming because we have a message of great news, don't we? to spread to people. There's an old story. Um, it's about a runner. Um, I, I enjoy, I'm one of the weird people that enjoys running. Um, I haven't the last few years. That's why my belt line is expanded. <laughs> um, but recently I've gotten into running again because I have a neighbor and we keep each other accountable and we run three or four days a week. And uh, um, I, I love running and I love race day. When it's race day, it's so interesting, it's so great, there's energy, there's excitement on race day. Well, there was a race back in 490 B.C. that was one of the most famous running races ever. It's a race that is unlike anything that we have ever seen since, or probably will ever see in the future. It involved one man. There was one participant. 
He was a military leader. He was a soldier. He was part of the small Greek army of that day and back in 490. And they were engaged in what eventually would be a crushing victory over their arch rival, the Persians. Well, the Persians had invaded part of their area there in Greece called the Attica Plain and in an effort to expand their borders. But the Greek army wanted to defeat them. They, they wanted to stand strong against the Persian army. And the Greek army were massive, massive underdogs in this war. As a matter of fact, they were the epitome of that. The Persians, they say, had a six-to-one man advantage over the Greeks. And they were militarily far advanced over the Greeks. Well, the story about this man who ran this race happened like this. At one point in this war, the Greek army had just won a major battle. They were the underdogs, but they were victorious. And they were so excited about this one battle against the Persian army that somebody had to go to Athens, their jewel, crowning jewel city, and they had to tell the people of Athens about this great victory. And so one man, a man named Theodipides, began to run by foot 26 miles from Marathon where they won this victory, to Athens. And he walked into that city and he announced, we've won this battle, victory is ours. Yes, we were underdogs, but now we are victorious. One battle, one battle. And they say this man died as soon as he reached the city of Athens and made that announcement. One battle. You see, he announced one battle, one victory. We get to announce the fact that God sent his son, Jesus, yes, in humble beginnings, but to be king. And we get to announce that to our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students. And that's part of anticipating the king, is letting others know about it. It's the time of year to do it. Will you take up the challenge with me? Invite friends, invite family, invite coworkers, invite students to be a part of hearing the great news of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died for our sins, and that he rose again from the dead, so that each one of us, if we accept him as our Savior, can have eternal life. Father, thank you for that great news. God, it was just one battle back in 490 B.C. God, you, you've won a battle over sin and death and hell. And God, you did it by sending your son a baby to this earth. But God, he's also king. He comes from royal blood, just like you told us he would. And Father, I pray that those of us who are in here today and we call ourselves Christ followers, I pray that during this time of year as we look back on his birth and we look forward to his second coming, God, I pray that we would take very seriously the job of anticipating the fact that you're our king. Help us, Father, to be willing to be purified by you. Help us to present ourselves pure and holy because you're holy. God, help us to understand what it means to bring our best to you. And Father, I pray for those who are in here today, and if we haven't been bringing our best, God, we confess that right now. We give that to you. Help us to bring our best in our family life, in our work life, in our study in our academic life. God, with our finances, with raising our children, with planning for the future, God, we give that to you. We bring our best. 
And God, I pray that you would help those of us who are in here who call ourselves Christ followers. Father God, help us to be part of announcing the fact that you're king. Yeah, you came in humility. You came in unroyal fashion. Oh, but Father, you're going to rule and reign one day. And there's going to be peace where there was once strife. There's going to be justice where there was once prejudice. There's going to be righteousness where there was once evil. God, we have a great story to tell. And I pray that we would get excited this Christmas season about announcing the fact that you are the king. Help us, Father, to understand that the creator of the universe wanted to have a relationship with mankind, and we are your messengers in that mission. Help us to do that this Christmas season. Help us to anticipate you, Jesus, as the king.